homeschooling is a beautiful way to educate and raise your children. When you look back on your years at home with your children, you will not regret the time you spent with them. But that doesn't mean that it's always smooth sailing. There will be times when things get tough. And you might even question, should I be homeschooling them? Should I continue to home educate them? And so in this episode, we're going to talk about what to do when things go wrong. This is episode number 62 of the Raising Mums podcast. Welcome to Raising Mums, a live weekly broadcast streaming on Facebook and Instagram that inspires mums to live with purpose and intention, to raise their children mindfully and empowers mothers everywhere to own their lives and thrive doing it. If you're getting my emails at the moment or you're following me on social media, you know that we are right in the middle of a very busy season in our business. Launch your homeschool. My online homeschooling course for Muslim parents is open for enrollment now uh, until Friday, the 4th of February at 12 p.m. British time. And if you want to join us, head over as soon as possible to launchyourhomeschool.com. If you're listening to this a few days later after we've released it, you may have missed it and the doors may now be closed. But if not, head over there now and join as soon as possible before we close those doors on Friday at noon. But part of promoting that enrollment period, we've been sharing exclusive content from inside Launch Your Homeschool, specifically the group coaching calls that we do every quarter, every three to four months, where I hop on a call live with our community and I talk them through and coach them through problems that may have arisen in their homeschool. And we've shared those videos, parts of those videos on social media and they've been really popular. So today on this podcast, I'm going to be sharing more snippets from the last few coaching calls inside Launch Your Homeschool with women like you who are trying to educate their children at home but are facing problems. And you'll see we deal with a whole variety of situations and questions, looking at homeschool curriculum and Charlotte Mason's specific questions, to parenting and discipline issues and emotional well-being issues of the mum. There's a whole range of questions. Um, So this is going to be a slightly different format to the usual episode, but I hope you'll enjoy it. All right, let's get into today's episode. As a mother, you should not be nagging your kids. You should not be talking all the all the time, asking them constantly to do this, do that, do this, do that. Because what happens is your voice becomes background noise. It holds no weight with them. They know that mom just says this, this, this all the time, all the time asking me to do this and that. And if I don't do it, nothing happens. That's absolutely not what you want the situation in your home to be. You want your words to have weight. And the way that you do that is you speak, you you speak to them, but you make requests of them very rarely. And when you do, you expect obedience. And if they don't do what you say, there are consequences. But you are not, you're not have, you don't have very high expectations. You're not, you know, bossing them around all day long. But when you do ask for something, you expect it to be done. And if it's not done, there are consequences. You, many of you know who have studied like the, the rights of parents and you've gone into this in any kind of depth, you know that parents have to be obeyed. We have to obey our parents no matter what, as long as 
they're not asking for something that is against Islam, right? We expect the same from our children and our children need to learn that. But you don't want to be unrealistic with your children. So what I would do is if my kids, if I, I would go up to their kids, let's just say they're upstairs in their bedroom playing. And I would say, I'm gonna be starting school now. Stop what you're doing and come downstairs. If you don't come downstairs, we will not go to the park this afternoon. And they'll be like, okay. And they'll come straight downstairs. And that's it. Nothing else to be said. The next day, you do the same thing. You go upstairs, you say, okay, we're gonna be starting school now, come downstairs. Now it's up to them to decide. <clears throat> Are they going to obey or are they not going to obey? Learning to do the right thing in your home when you don't want to, when it's hard, is a far more valuable lesson than whatever maths lesson you have prepared downstairs, whatever handwriting sheet you've printed out. That lesson that's going up in the bedroom is far more important. Are they going to do the right thing? That is the lesson you want them to learn. That's why many of us homeschool. You know, Charlotte Mason talks about the way of the will. Um, it's really, really important. So what are they going to do? If they do not come, then there has to be consequences. And, though, and you have to be consistent with those consequences. And of course, they need to be fair, like not going to the park or not getting screen time on the weekend or whatever it is. Nothing extreme. Um, and then you will not need to nag anymore because your children will know that when mom requests something from me, she means it. And she doesn't ask me to do anything that is not within my power, that I'm not capable of. And she's not asking me all the time to do but, things. Right. You have asked recommendations for grammar for a 10 year old. Okay, it's a big subject. <laughs> and you'd be surprised how often people wanna know about grammar. Um, so grammar is a very finite subject. Once you know grammar, you know grammar. That's it. it it's, it's like um, the rules of reading Quran. It's like times tables. It's like the multiplication tables. You learn it once and then that's it. You know it. You might have to revise a little bit, but it's very finite. So you absolutely do not need to begin. Those of you who have younger children, you don't need to begin grammar at a young age. Charlotte Mason, homeschooling, you begin grammar at about the age of Mispa's child. So about 10 years old. Um, so before the age of 10, all you're doing with regards to grammar would be, all you're doing with regards to grammar would be things like copy work. So copying out well-written sentences, narration and reading, reading good books. That's all you're doing. So up once your child reaches 10 years old, you can begin grammar, but you begin in a very, um, very light way between the ages of 10 and 12. You're not doing an awful lot. You're teaching um, the basic sentence structure. You're teaching the different types of sentences, simple punctuation, capitalization, that kind of thing. Once your child hits 13, then you dive deep into grammar. You do a, a grammar curriculum and you get it done in a year. And then once they're 14, you move on to a writing curriculum, a writing program to teach, to teach them to write well. So 13 is the age where you dive deeper into grammar. But if you have a 10 year old, you can begin with a grammar program. Um, there is one written by Charlotte Mason called Simply Grammar. It's been republished by Karen Andriola. 
you can find that on Abe Books. I, I don't know about Amazon, but certainly Abe Books has some copies. Um, if you're in the US, you can use one by Simply Charlotte Mason. That's a little bit more expensive, um, but it's very much all inclusive. So that's a good way to go. Um, so grammar, it can be done in one year. Charlotte Mason says about the age of 13 is when you dive deep, but you can begin sprinkling in some of the terminology from the age of 10 to through to 12. And I know, I think people stress about grammar because a lot of us, our schooling on grammar was not great. <laughs> so we worry about it, but it's not as terrifying as it seems. And it's one of those things I think once you start, once you do it, you realize you didn't need to be worried. It's okay. You just need one good book with all the rules. And for one year, you just focus on it. Um, and then you can move on with your life. <laughs> so okay. part of having good character is not just good manners, but I want you to think about good habits for your children. Because habits are really what lead to success. It's those little things that you do regularly that will lead to success. Those little things that you do every single day. Um, and what habits actually teach your children is to overcome their nuffs. It's, it's almost training them when you're teaching them to have good habits. It's teaching them to not listen to their nuffs, not listen to their base desires, but to do what's right. Um, to do what's right over what is easy. So I would encourage you, Susan, to actually start thinking about how you can get your children to develop good habits. So Artist recommendations for picture study. Van Gogh, Monet, Hokusai, Japanese artist. Georgia O'Keeffe is a more modern artist from the US. We did Turner this year. Um, Cezanne, French artist. Da Vinci. I mean, there are a lot of artists you can do. What most of us are looking for are artists where the, the artwork does not have animate objects, doesn't have people or, or animals, etc. So all of those artists I named, you, they do have beautiful works of art that do not have those things in. And there are the landscapes or their paintings of flowers, etc. There are a lot. And I think what I would advise if you're not sure, Mispa, is to get from the library just an, art, an artist book, a book on, on all the different artists, all the famous artists, and have a flick through that. Maybe your children can join you and you can pick something together. So what I'm get understanding, and forgive me if I'm wrong, but your son basically is not listening to you. Um, he's not listening when you ask him to do something or whatever it might be. You're not getting, he's not getting uh, the idea. He's not getting, he's not doing what you would like him to do. I think instead of asking, how do I get him to do what I want him to do? You need to ask a different question. You need to ask, why? Instead of thinking about how to change his behavior, I want you to think about why he's behaving the way he's behaving. Why is he not listening to you? If you can work out why he's behaving the way he is, why he's not obeying you and listening to his instructions, then the solution to that will be very simple. Is he not listening to you because you're asking him to do something that he's not able to do? He's developmentally not there yet. Is he bored? Uh, are you asking him to do too much and he's exhausted? Um, is it not interesting to him? Is he distracted by his younger brothers and sisters? They're, look deeply, think 
about why he's behaving the way he is. And inshallah, the solution uh, will become apparent. I think when it comes to sibling fighting, I really encourage you to reframe it in your head. It's not a negative thing. It's a very positive thing because your children are learning skills of how to manage disputes. They're learning these social skills that people tell us that homeschool kids, kids don't learn. They're learning that within the safety of your home. So actually sibling rivalry, sibling fights, all of those kind of things are actually very healthy thing. What is not healthy, of course, is as if it goes too far, if it becomes bullying, or if it becomes very physical and people are getting hurt, then of course you step in, but that's a discipline issue. Then you stop it and you do whatever disciplining you do in your home. But before it gets to that point, it's normal and it's good because you don't know why, why Allah gave, gave you the family you have. You don't know, you know, your children in your home, they have each other for a reason. They have that family dynamic for a reason. Maybe there are, they are, they're learning skills that they are going to need later in life. And it's hard to see your kids fights, but maybe it's important to them. It's they need to learn whatever it is they're learning. So what you need to do is not get involved, not try to fix it, because that's what we all want to do. We don't want to see our kids fights. So we try and jump in and fix it. Instead, let them sort it out. Let them sort it out. And they will sort it out and they will learn more if you allow them to sort it out. But why is it hard for you, Neelab? Why are you finding it hard? That's actually the question. Um, because when your children are fighting, it's not about you at all. It, it shouldn't affect you, but it is. And so I really want to encourage you, Neelab, to think about that. When your kids fight, why is it stressing you out? When they fight and squabble and bicker about stupid things, what thoughts run through your head? Do you start thinking, oh, I'm not a good mom. I'm not doing a good job. If they're fighting, what does that mean to you? Are you making it mean something that it really doesn't? Um, next time they are squabbling, next time they are fighting, or even if they're not fighting, I want you to just get a piece of paper out and on that piece of paper, I want you to write down all the thoughts that go through your head. What are you making their fight mean to you? Because I guarantee everything that your brain is telling you is not true. That fight that they're having, they are learning from that. They're learning social skills. They're learning important skills that they will need for the rest of their life. But your brain is telling you something that is not true, that it's about you. And it's not. It's if they are over the age of six, there are a few things you can do to encourage reluctant narrators. Um, first of all, you want to think about how to set up the lesson in a way that is going to make things easy for him or her to narrate. So that comes down to choosing the right book. You've got to choose a book where there's something happening. You know, if it's just a lot of descriptive passages or a lot of dialogue, it's going to be very difficult for a child to narrate back. So pick something where there's a lot of action. There's lots to talk about in the narration. Um, obviously, don't give them. You want to find the right balance with how much you're reading. Don't give them so little that there's not enough meat there to talk about. But don't give them so much that they're overwhelmed with the amount of information. And finding that balance does take time. It does take a little bit of experimenting, but with time you will get there.
before you start reading, you want to write out for your children on a book, on a, on a whiteboard, or on a piece of paper, all the names that come up in that passage, anything that might be difficult to pronounce, any words that they might not understand. And you do that before you start reading. So you do that ahead of time. Um, and you and that, that will just take a minute. You know, don't make it a long lesson explaining the passage ahead of time. You're just saying, okay, these are the names that are coming up. This is the name of the place just so that when they do come to narrate, it's easier for them. If your child is reluctant to narrate, and I have had one of my kids like this, they will tell you, I don't know what to say. I don't, I don't know. I, I, can't, I can't think of the words. I don't know, I'm not sure. And you'll hit a lot of resistance. But those children who are reluctant to learn, those are the ones who need narration the most. The kids who can tell you stories on and on and on, for them, narration is natural. And for them, they don't need it as much. Those children who can't articulate themselves, who have 101 thoughts going on in their brains, but they can't get them out, they are the ones who need to learn narration. So do not give up on your reluctant narrators. How do we deal with memorization with children who don't show an interest in memorizing the Quran, or maybe their ability is not in that field? I don't think that you can enforce memorization of Quran. I think you have to be very careful with that because if you force something, there's always a chance you could turn your child's heart away from that. And the very last thing you ever want to do is be the reason that your child turns away from the religion. The best way, I was listening to a teacher the other day, the best way that you can encourage your child to memorize Quran is to have them see you memorize Quran. You can't force your children to do something that you are not doing. You can't, um, you can't make them do what you don't do yourself. Your children will see what you're doing and um, that double standard will ring true in their heart. So the best way to encourage your children to memorize Quran is for them to see you memorizing Quran, for them to see that you have prioritized it in your life, therefore they should prioritize it in their life. My best teacher, he said that the, if you force something on your child that you are not doing yourself with regards to the religion, the best thing that you can hope is that they don't do it. <clears throat> because if they do do it, it's because you force them to do it. They're doing it because you force them. They're not doing it for Allah. They're not doing it for any kind of you know, pure intentions. They're just doing it for you, either through love or through fear. But either way, that's not accepted by Allah. Or even worse, they do it, but they hate doing it. And it's because you force them to do it. So the best thing you can do with Quran is just to do it yourself. Let them see you memorizing Quran. Let them see you going to Quran classes. Let them see you struggling every day to find five minutes to read the Quran or to be playing Quran while you're doing the cooking. If they see that it's a priority in your life, then inshallah, it will become a priority in their life. I do think that some kids have more ability than others and some kids are more inclined to it than others. Um, and yes, there is an age when it, it does seem to click a little better than others. Um, but that would be my biggest piece of advice that I can offer you is start doing it yourself. Her in-laws are creating a lot of fuss 
over the kids being homeschooled. And my husband is unsure, um, but I am sure, mashallah. How do I keep up with the kids in this hostile environment? Okay. So that is, I mean, that's a really tough situation to be in where your in-laws are causing a lot of fuss um, about being home, the children being homeschooled. And that potentially is causing your husband to be unsure of your decision. So this uh, situation is not uncommon, um, but it does need to be dealt with with a lot of wisdom, a lot of tact. Um, now, I don't know your, exactly what's going on, so I can't give you specific information. But when you're dealing with your in-laws, you have to be respectful. You, you know, and in no way should what you say or the way you behave insult them or offend them. You know, and especially when your husband, you know, you don't want your husband to feel that you're being harsh to his parents. It will just cause more problems. So you really have to deal very carefully with the situation. Now, I am assuming that you've already discussed with them why you've chosen to homeschool. If you haven't already had a conversation, then you need to do that. You need to, in some way, whatever feels right for you, open up those uh, channels of conversation and talk to them about why you've made that decision. I think in that situation, it's better for the husband to lead, if it's his parents, to lead that conversation. And depending on the dynamic, you know, either you are there, but you don't input too much, or you're maybe not even there. But there needs to be that conversation of why you've made that decision. If you've already had that decision and they're still kicking up a fuss, then really what you need to do is have a way to create boundaries, set, create some kind of distance between them. Now, I absolutely do not mean cutting them out of your life. No, okay, that's not what I mean. I just mean putting up almost emotional boundaries between you and them because. When you create that space in physical space, in time and emotion, it allows both of you to, to start to appreciate things between one another. You know, when you have that space, you start to understand, um, you want to understand things better. It will also um, give them a chance to reflect on on what is actually happening to your children when they take a step back. We all know when we're in the thick of a situation, we can't take that sort of bird's eye view and see actually, you know, I'm doing a great job in homeschooling. You know, things are going really well. And likewise for your in-laws, they need that distance as well. So that might mean instead of having them over every day, you just see them on the weekends. And you say to them, look, you know, I'm taking my job as a home educator very, very seriously. And, um, you know, I need to focus on teaching the kids and giving them a good education. And so that means, you know, instead of us having a meal every day together, we'll just do it on the weekends. And of course, there's going to be resistance to that, but they will get used to it if they, you know, in the long run, they will understand. But you have to deal very carefully with that situation. Um, maybe take that in steps. Um, Another way, I mean, it depends on their personality. You might ask your in-laws to get involved in the homeschooling. Maybe, you know, maybe their resistance is because, you know, they, they, they're not in control of this situation. It's so new and alien to them. Maybe she, maybe you could offer them um, to, to join in. You maybe get them to teach something, you know, one evening or one afternoon a week and let them take part. And maybe once they start to take part in it, they will see the beauty of homeschooling. Um, 
it does get better with time. I mean, I think one of the big things when you're dealing with parents, with in-laws, with anybody in your life who, who might be causing these problems is to make du'a for them. You have to, if you pray for them, first of all, your du'a will get answered. And if it doesn't get answered, then you will be given something even better, right? Secondly, when you make du'a for somebody else, there's an angel that comes and says, and for you, and for you. So you're getting that benefit as well. But most, you know, relevant to this context is that when you make du'a for somebody else, your heart softens to them. You forgive them. So if you have any kind of negative emotion towards your in-laws right now, the best thing you can do is make du'a for them because it goes against exactly what the nafs wants. The nafs does not want you to wish good upon somebody who you feel badly towards, who has harmed you or your children in some way. But if you make du'a for them, then it will soften your heart. And inshallah, their hearts will soften as well. And you will find some kind of way to reconcile. Um, it, it does get better with time. It takes time. And remember that your in-laws, you know, at least initially, this initial resistance did come from a place of love and concern. It may have evolved into something else. I don't know. Um, but it did start from a place of love. Um, well, that's the end of today's episode. I hope you enjoyed that it's a different format. If you'd like to get that kind of personal support from me and join these coaching calls, then join our homeschooling community. The doors to launch your homeschool are now open and they close on Friday at noon. Launch Your Homeschool is an online program designed to help Muslim families homeschool their children. You'll go from feeling overwhelmed and unsure and confused to confident and excited and well prepared for your homeschool year. Built upon a foundation of Islamic values, and a framework of the Charlotte Mason philosophy, I'm gonna give you a systematic step-by-step -step approach to crafting your own homeschool curriculum and building a strong foundation in your homeschool so that you can successfully homeschool year after year. I believe with my whole heart that no, there is no one size fits all curriculum for homeschooling, but rather every child deserves an education that is tailored specifically to their needs. And that's why in this course, I'm going to give you the tools you need to find your own way based upon your values, your unique and beautiful children and your family's dynamics. A large part of this course is dedicated to homeschool planning and time management so that you can begin your homeschooling journey positively and with confidence. I do go into a lot of details about common pitfalls and mistakes that homeschoolers usually make in their first few years so that you can avoid them. And listen, I know firsthand how little time you have to study when you have children, especially if they're young. And so that's why I've kept these video lessons very short, around 20 minutes, but they are packed with value. So you can watch them during nap time, when you're having your morning coffee, or on those rare occasions when everyone goes to sleep at a reasonable hour in the evening. And everything is recorded and you will have lifetime access. So you can go back and rewatch any of the lessons whenever you need to. And in addition to all of that, we have a community on Facebook 
and a community of Facebook. And I can provide you with all the homeschool planning material you will need, accompanying worksheets. There's so much. And this year we have some really incredible bonuses that I'm offering, which include masterclasses from external speakers who are coming to speak to the community about their area of expertise. So to find out more about this incredible opportunity to join us, go to launchyourhomeschool.com. Remember the doors close on Friday at noon. I can't wait for you to join us. Have a beautiful week, my friends. Take care. Assalamu alaikum.